I I think that these inspections are good. They should be preventative things because nobody wants to drive down the road um, with flat tire. You could go down the road with a brand new tire and have it go flat. I don't think we should be penalized uh, for something that is is not something that you did intentionally. Today, owner operator Warren McCurdy, who you heard there talking about how federal and state truck inspections ought to work. Owner operator McCurdy tells the story of how his business was thrown right up against the possibility of devastating consequences a system of quote-unquote safety evaluation that does nothing to take into account that intentionality of which he spoke. I'm Todd Dills, and yes, I'm talking about the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration's CSA Safety Measurement System, which scores carriers based on a violation look back two years in the rear view. An internal to FMCSA Driver Safety Measurement System, too, looks at drivers on a three-year timetable, signing severity weights in the form of points to various violations, as it does in the carrier safety measurement system. In owner-operator McCurdy's case, though he's grateful the Washington State Inspector saw what he himself couldn't possibly have detected at the very back of his then-empty flatbed trailer. You're talking about the infamous flat tire. That's right. Though he's glad the officer alerted him to that tire. The subsequent inspection and the noted high-severity violation had other consequences that he just wasn't expecting coming quite close to meaning the end of his lease with his longtime motor carrier. The podcast this week dives back into what's at issue in cases like these, where carriers subject to the severity weighting system for violations pass that on, too, with systems to hold drivers and owner-operators to a degree of accountability themselves, relying on the federal point system to assess and prevent damage to their own scores. Curdy's wife and longtime business partner, Susan, tried her hand at the data cue system in a vain attempt to contain the damage in this case by challenging the violation. But given the inspector was doing what he should have done here, alerting McCurdy to the problem tire on his trailer, conducting an inspection, then reporting the results into the federal system as required, there was really nothing data cues was going to be able to help correct about the fundamental nature of the situation. More fundamentally, though, it's the very nature of the CSA scoring system that makes accountability problematic for owner-operator McCurdy here. Nobody indeed intends to run around with flat tires. With respect to any violation, McCurdy urged regulators to take a long, hard look at what they're holding carriers and drivers accountable for by scoring them as they do. He's determined, meanwhile, to do what he can to make a difference. You, you find yourself sitting on the sidelines uh, griping about this and that and the other thing, and, <laughs> and you hardly, hardly uh, you know, and a, a lot of people do that, and I was just as guilty as anybody else. After his recent experience, though, things are different. But you come to a point where you realize that, hey, you know, if somebody doesn't know it's broke, it's never going to get fixed. On the other side of a break, we'll dive into McCurdy's half-decade history trucking, an eye on eventual retirement later in the year. If, that is, he doesn't just buy a new truck. <laughs> You'll see what I mean after this word from Overdrive Radio's sponsor. In order to keep your diesel vehicle moving this winter, you need to make sure that you have the products you can trust. Howe's Diesel Treat has long been the number one product on the market to prevent gelling. But what if you forget to treat your fuel and find yourself stuck? Reach for Howe's Diesel Lifeline. 
the only emergency rescue product available that's 100% alcohol-free, fast-acting, and easy to use. Diesel Lifeline is your security blanket on the road. Visit HowesProducts.com. That's Howes, H-O-W-E-S, HowesProducts.com. Here's owner-operator Warren McCurdy with some of his very long history trucking as an owner-operator to start. Well, my name is uh, Warren McCurdy. My wife is Susan, and uh, we're not a team, but we we operate together. Uh, We live in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and we've always uh, trucked out of here. Uh, We were... We've been with uh, a few different companies, but uh, mainly um, we were with Landstar for 23 and a half years, and now we've been with Bennett Motor Express for the last four. We took this winter off, and uh, I've been out here long enough that uh, I don't want to uh, compete with winter anymore on the on the icy roads. We've been out here for about. All told, about 50 years, went 3.6 million accident-free miles, and uh, we probably will truck this coming summer and hang it up this fall. Have you been thinking uh, uh, about uh, this year as an retirement date for you um, for a long time, or is this uh, kind of a just a new decision that you've arrived at? <laughs> Well, it's, it's kind of funny because uh, we say we've retired four times, <laughs> and every t- it seems like every time we retire, then we turn around and buy a new a new truck. <laughs> and so, whenever we tell anybody around here that we're going to retire, why they they ask, well, when's the new truck being delivered? <laughs> <laughs> but um, we think that uh, this is this is going to be the last year. It's uh, trucking is a lot different today than it was uh, 40 years ago, 45 years ago. You told me yesterday when we were talking that uh, you guys are hauling now, uh, I think it's 2019 Mac uh, Anthem. Yes, sir. Yeah. Tell me Beautiful truck. About... Yeah, it, it is. You sent me that picture of it. It's, uh, it is a beauty. And uh, tell me, about, well, just walk me through uh, the equipment that you guys are running now and see what kind of freight you, you're hauling for. For Bennett. I started trucking with a reefer, and uh, I didn't really care for that all that much. And then I switched to a dry van, and uh, these were as uh, company drivers. Uh, and then um, that, that didn't appeal to me either. Um, I didn't care for the people we were, the dock people for the most part that we were dealing with. And Kept on going and went with Anderson, and that's when we switched to flatbed, and I really liked that a lot better. Um, the guys we were trucking with uh, were a lot easier to get along with. Uh, and, of course, back in those days, uh, they were the teachers and I was the pupil because being new to trucking, I had a lot to learn. And, and, and you learn from the from the old guys that are on the road. You ask questions, and, and that's how it went. And now... Um, like I say, we were with Landstar for 23 and a half years. We made a lot of friends there, and we still haul Landstar freight because freight between Bennett and Landstar, they haul is compatible, and they haul each another's freight, which is really nice because we have some agents in both companies that like our operation and the way we deal with customers. And um, so occasionally we get a call that from an agent that says this customer wants you to come and get their freight. And that's always nice to hear. 
What we haul, we haul a lot of uh, transformers. Okay. We haul a lot of air conditioners. There's, there's quite a, there's air conditioners within 75 miles of La Crosse. And um, we haul equ- equipment, con- conveyors for some comp- a couple of companies, uh, Freightliner cabs uh, to dealers. Um, and we get into some interesting freight once in a while. We, ha- we hauled a couple of ocean-going buoys out of Alabama. They were going to Alaska, and we wanted us wanted them to let us deliver them. But they said, "No, we got to at Seattle. We got to put them on a boat and take them up there." But uh, they're so huge. There was only two of them that fit on a fifty-three foot flatbed. You guys uh, have uh, have that Conestoga set up on the on the fifty-three footer, right? That's what we have now. We had an open flat for quite a while, and then when they Conestoga started coming on the on the scene. Why we went to uh, looking at them, and the idea appealed because I found it uh, harder to to tarp, especially if you had machinery that uh, and machinery and different items like that are very hard on plastic tarps. Spend a lot of time repairing holes and. Uh, the idea of the Conestoga. Also, we were hauling a lot of stuff for Boeing and um, Lockheed Martin, and they don't like tarps touching their stuff. And the Conestogas work really well for that, and they like to see you come in with a Conestoga. Come a long way since the uh, the days of the three hundred pound and uh, single piece canvas tarp, right? We were t- we were talking a little bit about that yesterday. Yeah, I, I just, I, as I think back on that, I don't know how I survived that. Of course, you always had to have them put up there with a forklift, and you had to get them rolled up so that you could, when you were up there, you had to get them rolled out so that they could, um, so that you could get them opened in the front the way they were supposed to be. If you didn't and you had to turn them around up there, it was pretty difficult. Hey, when did you buy your first truck? Uh, was that before or after you and Susan were together? That was before. Um, okay. I, I had uh, a truck, uh, probably I, I believe in 1968. I bought a cab over Mac from Lacrosse, and that's when I was doing reefer work. But my first wife was a type one diabetic, and her health went downhill. So I put a driver in the truck for a while, and. He, I went through two or three drivers. A couple of them weren't very honest. I finally got a good one. And he lasted and decided that he wanted to be home more with his wife. And I got up one morning and the truck was parked in front of the house with a note on the steering wheel, fully loaded. (laughs) So I had to deliver that. And uh, we ended up selling that truck. And I did something for a little while. Because I I couldn't be a, away from her, right? I lost her at open heart surgery. I was and I was single for five years, and my uh, Susan only lived a block and a half away from our house uh, when I was married to my first wife, and uh, we ended up meeting at a singles club, and the rest, as they say, is history. We met for the first time on a dance floor because she likes to dance and I like to dance. And, and um, up until the last couple of years, there's not many dance halls around here anymore. So uh, 
the dancing has kind of fell by the wayside. Has she um, has she been on the truck with you um, continuously through the years? I would say ninety nine point nine percent of the time. I did take I take a, a a load to San Diego by myself for I don't remember why she had to stay home. No. Um, and then she was home when we bought a trailer and she had to because we had to move. And she was remodeling the inside of the trailer, so she was home while I was trucking. But we do much better with her on the truck uh, because she does all of the logistic work. She gets the directions. Uh, she calls the customer. Uh, she calls the shipper and the receiver. She does all the phone calling with the um, agents. She operates the laptop. I don't do well with computers. and you can loads come and go on the load board so um obviously i can't do it while i'm driving the truck and she can and that way um it works out a lot better financially and at that time we were newly married so we didn't want to be apart we wanted to be together so it works much better yeah What, what what year did you guys get married It'll be 35 years ago this coming June. Here's a big congrats to the McCurdy's in advance. I then asked Warren to tell the story that led us to this conversation to begin with. The infamous flat tire, indeed, and a severity weighting system and a safety measurement protocol that, to say the least, does not take into account a totality of the circumstances, or whether a driver could reasonably be expected to have discovered a violation prior to encountering it during inspection. The story starts in Portland, Oregon. We were loaded uh, and had uh, uh, Jubit's truck stop overnight uh, due to um, deliver uh, near the airport in Portland. Okay. And we did that. Um, you do a pre-trip or a po- uh, yeah a pre-trip inspection in the morning. Everything was fine. Uh, we uh unloaded and we had a load to pick up the next morning in spokane so we immediately headed in that direction when you leave portland you go 40 about 35 40 miles and you go through a oregon scale and we went through an oregon scale and nobody said a word so i assume that that tire was not flat at that time uh, because it was fairly obvious. I mean, it was off the rim. Quick FYI here. The eventual flat in question discovered later was on the inside wheel of a pair of duels in the driver's side at the very back of the 53-foot flatbed Conestoga. As Warren McCurdy notes here, when he crossed that Oregon scale, he went through it without a problem. Maybe it went flat after that uh, because they didn't say anything. And then we, we never stopped for anything. And when we got to Umatilla, of course, we got on on um, 395 going north and across the river into the Washington scale where we got the red light and the officer told us we had a flat tire, which resulted in an, an inspection of the truck, which they did. They also found a running light that had went out. Uh, this resulted in a total of 16 points um, are not 16 points, uh, 12 points. That's referring to the severity weighting of violations in the safety measurement system. In this case, that's eight for the tire, two for the lamp, 
plus another two for the out-of-service condition of a flat tire. Under the rules of the SMCSA, that's tripled. So now we have 36 points. Violations in both motor carrier and driver safety measurement systems initially are tripled to account for their recency. They carry less weight over time. In most of what follows, McCurdy references the driver system, where a tripling of the violation's weight falls to a doubling after year one of that violation appearing on the record, then to just standard weight after the second year. Got the tire put on, new tire, about 660 bucks, and proceeded to um, Richville, where we spent the night and went in to get loaded uh, the next day. And then our problems really started because once we got loaded, the truck wouldn't start. <laughs> right. And uh, everything went downhill from there. We had to get a record, hauled us over to the Mac dealer, sat for two and a half days to get it fixed, and proceeded. So that was unrelated to the flat tire, but nonetheless, it's like when it rains, it pours, right? That was something to do with the ignition and or the electrical? Yeah, we had a we had a short in the wire. Okay. When we got out of there, Bennett called us and, and informed me that had I got 42 points, I would have been terminated. As I mentioned before, I've, I've at this point, I've driven over 3 million miles accident-free and claim-free. I hadn't had any points for at least 25 years or so. And I can't remember the last ticket, but apparently none of that counts from for anybody. It's only that flat tire that counts. And that's that's what our ongoing objection is. It's not a huge amount of of miles and time between leaving the Jubich uh, truck stop and, and getting to that scale in in Washington. From Portland to Umatilla, it's about, I'll give or take 160 miles. And then it's about three miles to the station. And from that point, it's a hundred and a quarter to Spokane. Somewhere you picked something up in that tire because that thing, there was nothing wrong with that that morning. Um, and yet, you know, the officer did, uh, the officer, uh, uh, the inspector at the at the scale house in Washington did exactly what you know they're there for, which is to you know highlight uh, okay you've got a problem that you don't know about yet, <laughs> but because of that um, you're the one that takes the, the penalty and essentially and no one else the carrier does too for that matter that you're that you're hauling for I mean I guess that's why they they put those kinds of stipulations in their contracts on to sort of. Uh, incentivize folks to do do all the work necessary to avoid any yeah. violations because they're getting assessed for the same thing, uh, obviously. But it is a system that it penalizes. It seems to to penalize you uh, for uh, for things that you have no control over, essentially. None, because we have no representation on the FMCSA, and they set the rules. And you've spent a good bit of time talking to your state uh, representatives and then also i believe uh uh working with the uh, the association that you're a member of i think it's owner operator independent drivers association talk talk a little bit yep. about that what you've done in terms of your those conversations and kind of how you're how you've sort of um tried to take a little bit more of a, an advocate's role in this in this arena 
you you find yourself sitting on the sidelines uh, griping about this and that and the other thing and <laughs> and you hardly hardly uh, you know and a, a lot of people do that and i was just as guilty as anybody else but you come to a point where you realize that hey you know if somebody doesn't know it's broke it's never going to get fixed and and so that's what we got these guys for and they have offices right here in lacrosse and we met uh we did meet with the actual local assemblyman from the state of Wisconsin on a different subject. Okay. But the federal uh, federal uh, people, we have only met with their office help. We haven't met with the actual representatives yet. But um, the people we've met with have been very receptive to what we've been telling them. And I um, have been filling out an application for alternate board of directors member with the OIDA and I don't know whether I'll be voted in or not but if I am well that gives me another place to, uh, to vocalize uh, and, and support them and and maybe will help meeting with my local people. McCurdy then referenced rulemakings in process to require speed limiters, automatic braking systems and side underrad guards as particularly important to engage on to at least limit the damage of any implementation, if not get the rules abandoned altogether. Personally, he felt most strongly about the adverse safety implications of automatic braking systems. He worried too about widespread speed limiting's potential impact on highway traffic flow and subsequent road rage incidents. Beside underride guards, well, that would increase the cost of equipment unnecessarily, he felt, with little real benefit on the safety front. As for that trailer tire, again, inside tire of a dual pair, under an empty flatbed, with the tire flat to the point of being off the rim but not noticeable from the cab of the truck, Curry said. He felt uh, it, it could have it could have went several hundred miles without, you know, until I got loaded, it wouldn't have been in trouble, or it wouldn't have caused any trouble. No. Carrier and driver being held accountable in the CSA SMS with all those points associated with the flat violation might be made a little more reasonable with the new waiting system that FMCSA proposed for the carrier CSA SMS. Violations in general under the new system are weighted more evenly there, yet the agency didn't concern itself with those changes when it comes to the driver safety measurement system. That SMS isn't available to the public and operates for enforcement purposes entirely in the background. Kirby's example, though, makes clear some trucking companies have used it and those severity weights as indicators of performance with tie-ins with their lease contracts. I think the terminology is wrong. A violation is something you do intentionally. I mean, if you go through a red light, that's a violation. Right. Uh, you've you've done more or less done that intentionally. If you go 75 miles an hour in a 65 mile an hour zone, you know it. That's a violation. Uh, I didn't know that tire was flat. Uh, I, I don't know that a light burned out. If they're if they're all lit when I look at them and then it goes out uh, in between, how uh, you know? You're not going to see this in your mirror. Yeah, you're not going to see that in your mirror, right? Like, <laughs> right. Uh, I I think that these inspections are good. They should be preventative things because nobody wants to drive down the road. Um, with flat tire you could go down the road with a brand new tire and have it go flat i don't think we should be penalized uh for something that is is not something that you did intentionally that would require a a, a kind of a totality of the circumstances look at every yeah. um 
every violation and you know everybody just wants to they want the uh the easiest way forward right so it's just like okay let's put a number on every single violation and just call it a day right like yeah. but yeah know, these things have real well i've said before the members of the smcsa don't don't understand they wouldn't know it one truck from another but um i think standardization would help I have been out east and went through a scale, and and the guy said, stop me, and he said, I think you've got a a headlight out. I said, really? He said, yep. He said, that's when we had bulbs, and we could change them. He said, have you got a a new bulb with you? And I said, yeah. He said, park it in a new bulb, put in a new bulb, and have a nice day. That was the end of it. That was a preventative situation and uh, to me was handled right. I mean, as was the inspection out in Washington, right? Something the officer you... was very professional. Very, you know, he was, he was very professional. He was very civil. Uh, he wasn't condescending at all. He, he was, he, he was doing his job uh, the way he was uh, supposed to do it. And, and he did what he was supposed to do. Um, you, you cannot let a truck go through there with a flat tire like that. And, and I had no problems with that. And we had a discussion with the scale master at one point, a couple, three days after that. And I told him, I said, the officer was, was very professional. He he should be commented on that Uh, and it's not them it's the system a system in which points for the violations follow both mccurdy and his leasing carrier around now for subsequent years as if they truly meant something with respect to safety mccurdy thinks the answer to these issues as suggested earlier is through engagement really getting some representation of trucking industry members with hard-won experience in place and the bodies that write the rules and design the systems. In order to get uh, a more fair system in place, I mean, I know that Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration and, and all the trucking associations are in constant communication with each other. And yet you don't see career or former career truck drivers often, you know, actually taking positions within the within the agency uh, on a full-time basis you know there's probably a reason for that because they're, they're career truck drivers and or owner operators for a reason they love doing it <laughs> but uh, you know someone like yourself um who's who's kind of you know has, has a has an eye on um on the end of a, of a trucking career could be called upon to uh you know participate in that system give advice um even do you, would no. you see yourself taking a full-time position uh, as an advisor uh, and or or you know someone working with the FMCSA in Wisconsin for instance because they all have division offices obviously I told somebody uh, in fact when we met with Ben Orton's uh, representative the other uh, last week okay I said I'd be happy to testify uh, you know right, right. I wouldn't want to live in DC or out east no you don't, but, want to, um, you don't want to go work full time for the agency, yeah, but you, yeah. you're 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 welcome. Yeah, you'd love to to yeah. give your input. Yeah, this is somewhat like taxation without representation because they're setting the rules and the regulations uh, like they did with the ELD machines. Well, that made two billion dollars for the industry that produces those machines, and they sold it as being a safety device. And I suggest that it's not safety; it's just money. There's a lot of issues uh, that could be um, corrected and made a lot better 
if they would have some people, and let's face it, there's truckers out there that probably know a lot more than I do. Uh, <laughs> maybe they've forgot more than I know. I have no idea. But I know they're out there. To its credit, to an extent, FMCSA has in fact made moves toward more direct engagement with those working actively in the industry through somewhat recent years, including through its driver advisory subcommittee to its influential motor carrier safety advisory committee, though neither have met recently. Yet there's also the Truck Leasing Task Force I wrote about a couple weeks back dedicated to the singular issue of lease purchase contract inequities, as well as the Women of Trucking Advisory Board, both of those established after being required by Congress. Maybe, just maybe, it's time for a CSA SMS advisory committee with plenty in the way of driver and owner-operator representation. Whatever the case, McCurdy hopes, I know, direct engagement continues to grow, with the ultimate result of a better system for owner-operators, drivers, and motor carriers. A big thanks to Warren McCurdy for his time for this episode. Overdrive Radio is out there on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn, most any podcasting platform. Subscribe to it so you don't miss an episode and you can find me and all of our episodes via overdriveonline.com slash overdrive hyphen radio. Big thanks for listening. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive, the voice of the American truck. Considered and produced by me, Todd Dills, with the acoustic guitar and other support of trucker-songwriter Long Paul Paul Marhofer. The theme is Legend of the Snake Man by Marhofer. Featuring the guitar work of Travis, the Snake Man himself, Wamick, Terry Two Socks Richardson on bass, keys by Tisha Mingo, Jim Whitehead, and on drums, Andrew Marshall. The podcast is backed up further by Overdrive's own news editor Matt Cole, executive editor Alex Lockie, and video editors Lawson Rudisil and Mr. Andrew Gwynn. We'll see you next time.